Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So, Dr. Walkley, thank you very much for coming back on the program, past president of the Ontario Medical Association as well. When you say that the healthcare system was stress-tested by COVID and it didn't come out very well, it didn't fare very well, did it surprise anybody or did we just find out what really, were we able to substantiate what we suspected? Yeah, great question, Roy, and I really appreciate you having me back. I mean, I could list uh, three, well, I I can go on and on listing quotes from well-known politicians who are saying that, so for example, uh, Jane Philpott, when she was minister, federal minister of health, she said to a large crowd of us, as quoted in the Globe and Mail, uh, she said, the second myth is that Canada has the best healthcare system in the world. And so many other politicians have been saying the same. But when you look at the data, and I believe you quoted this last on the last time we talked as well, and this is in my paper, uh, Canada has 2.5 hospital beds per 1,000 population. If you look at the average in the OECD, so the European countries, they have 4.7 hospital beds per 1,000 patients. The number of beds in Canada peaked around 1989. You know, when you look back to the 1970s, we had more beds than sick people to put in them. Through the 90s, we started cutting, cutting, cutting beds. Part of it was because we did more outpatient care, but a lot of it had to do with, we just didn't even know, you know, the previous Deputy Minister of Health in Ontario said, we, we closed tens of thousands of beds, I'm quoting him right now, of hospital beds. We did that with very little real insight into the impacts. And so when COVID hit us last spring, we had just declared a state of emergency in the town of Brampton in southern Ontario, a state of emergency for hospital overcrowding. And then the week later, COVID hit the news, and that's all we were focused on. So we've had 11 months to try to address the issue in healthcare. And I argued in the paper that you've been mentioning that um, we, we, we really missed an opportunity. Why didn't we fix things? Why are we still talking about uh, radical lockdowns um, if capacity is the problem? And so when you say, were, were we surprised? Well, it's like skating with your head down in a hockey game. If it's a contact hockey game, you skate into the end zone, you're going to get a thundering body check from a gigantic defenseman. That's just what happens when you skate with your head down. And that's what we've been doing in healthcare. Yeah. So I, I find, and it's relevant now based on what you just said, it was relevant anyway, but it really ties into what you just said. I always like to ask authors why they chose the title for their books. When politics comes before patients, to me, that just, that underscores all the problems right there because healthcare in this country has been a political football of convenience for governments, throw some money at it before elections. Tell us how many beds you've opened, what you're going to be doing, and then after the election we go, and then we revert to the way we were. So it's socialized medicine, as you write. And uh, tell me, please, why the title, and where is this system most? Oh my God, where is it most in need of help? 
<laughs> so you've given me such a great opportunity. I could talk about any of the things that you just said for about uh, two hours. So the title, I have to give credit to other people, publisher and my editor. They're the brilliant people that come up with a title that actually captures the book. But I'm so glad you used the word socialized medicine. You know, even even uh, a few decades ago, that was that was a swear word. It was not accepted in polite company to use that word socialized. But we now are using it without any shame or hesitation. Jim Carrey was on Bill Maher's show just a year and a half ago, and he said, you know, I'm from Canada, and we have socialized medicine, and I'm sick and tired of people criticizing it. And so he was very proud of the fact that we have socialized medicine in Canada. And certainly a Harris poll from 2019 showed that over 50% of voters under the age of 38 would prefer to live in a socialist country. So I think we can use that word now, socialized medicine, as a descriptive word without getting um, hives, just using the word. But we need to ask ourselves, did socialized medicine deliver on our dreams for it? Did it provide patients what they need? Or does it too often lead to anti-patient policies that deny patients care and dignity. And I could give you a number of stories on, on the denial of dignity, but I want to give the give the mic back to you in case you want to take it in a different direction. No, I, I'd like you to follow up on that, but I just want to follow up on what you just said uh, and uh, or, or implied, and that is anybody, anybody in this country who's ever gone to a hospital will understand bureaucracy at its worst. I'm not saying that the people who are behind the glass are bad people, or that they don't care. But they're caught up, they're cogs in the wheels of bureaucracy. If you've ever taken a number in a waiting room and waited hour after hour after hour, then you know, you know what's wrong. Um, so, Dr. Watley, please pick up there with with broken promises to, to patients. Uh, the fact that it's a system that is not responsive you tell me if I'm wrong, but this is what I get from your book. It's a system that's not responsive to the needs of the people anymore. It's responsive to the needs of bureaucracy and politics. Yeah, no, exactly. And and even just before we dive into that, I think we have to acknowledge that some people get outstanding care. And oh, so of course. I would argue that we've lost the moral high ground in Canada for this reason. People who have connections and privilege inside the system or that people who live in wealthy neighborhoods get better care. I'm looking at an uh, article from the New England Journal of Medicine right now, world premier uh, uh, um, a medical journal. This is on Canadian data from 1999. They say that 23% people got 23% greater use of cardiac, so heart diagnostics, after their MRI, and they waited 45% less for them if they came from a wealthy neighborhood compared to people who come from a poorer neighborhood. So we talk about taking a number and waiting in line. The, 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 the even more egregious thing is that some people don't wait in that line. Some people actually get to the front of the line, even though the rest of us are in the line. But on top of that, we have to ask ourselves, who said it was okay to make the line? Who said it was okay to design the system like this? If you look at the Chihuly case from the Supreme Court of Canada, 2005, Justice Marie Duchamp said that the wait times in our system are real and intentional. 
So we've gotten a bit better about talking about the reality of those weights and the reality of the bureaucracy, but we're not talking enough about the intentionality of it. Someone planned this, and we need people to realize that it's not just a bad day in the eMERGE. It's not just a busy day at the MRI suite. Someone planned for you to wait as long as you did. Why is that okay? We should be asking that. Why exactly is that okay? Now, I had a major heart issue 20 years ago and uh, fortunately survived it well. I had the Widowmaker, 99% blocked LAD. Wow. Wow. And yeah, that's and that's what I hear from every doctor. Usually wow. followed with, and you're still here. Yeah, yeah. I'm still here, yeah. and everything wow. checked out, and everything's working. Tickety-boo, everything's fine. Twenty plus years later, but I waited four months to go from the initial uh, consultation to the MR, all of the various uh, tests and and uh, the cardiolite and all that stuff. But I waited four months, and I I think that. If I had gone in to the, to the eMERGE, instead of going to my family doctor, who then put me, you know, sent me to the cardiologist and so on down the, the line, I, my guess is that I would have been treated, much, I would have been dealt with far more quickly if I'd gone to the eMERGE because they would have found it and they would have dealt with it. That's where I think that we do well, but it's largely, isn't it, Dr. Watley? Isn't it because of the people more than the system? So I'm glad you mentioned the people. We have some fantastic nurses, doctors, technicians, clerks. I mean, people dedicate their lives to caring for patients, and, and they end up in the healthcare space. So um, what we do poorly is we take that passion and desire, and we beat them up and, and grind them down under you know checklists and forms and rules written often by people who don't provide the care, and it just saps the spirit out of them. But, but to your point about, you know, the 99%, first of all, yeah, you're a walking miracle. You know, thank, thank God you're, you got found and, and it got fixed. That, that's fantastic. We actually do not too bad on concrete issues where we have international data that we're being compared against. So, for example, trauma care. If you get hit by a car anywhere near a trauma center, we now have air ambulances that scoop you up and bring you to a trauma center. So we are compared against how other countries perform on that concrete bit of data. It would look really, really bad if we had no helicopters and no trauma centers. Same with for heart problems. It's very well documented that door to balloon time, so door to the time when we open that blocked artery up, um, matters, and it matters a great deal to survival rates. The problem is, is that where we don't have measurement, for example, how long did you have to wait the four months until you actually got seen by someone Well, you didn't really have symptoms? All of those, you know, the gray zone, while we're trying to arrive at a diagnosis or arrive at a treatment that we think is maybe not life-threatening, we don't do well at all. And that is well documented on numerous studies comparing us with the rest of the world. Dr. Watley, uh, what are some of the approaches that you would that you would suggest should be at least actively considered by the people who manage, fund, and 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 control healthcare? So great question, and there's really uh, such a long list. I'll I'll spit a few out very very quickly. Uh, number one, we should work together. Don't pick a a scapegoat and blame all the problems of the system on that one group, for example, doctors or nurses or whomever. So let's work together to make it better. Number two, resist the urge to score political points. Put patients at the center and not policies in the next election campaign. Number three, stop saying free care. 
our previous Minister of Health in Ontario loved to say, you know, go get your flu shot, it's free. And okay, I, I know what he's saying, but don't use that word free care. It's not free, it's very expensive. Number four, align incentives or align interests. For example, if you pay hospitals a block fee, a fixed budget to provide care for the community, they're not going to want to see more and more patients. They'd rather have patients waiting because it costs more money to see more patients, whereas doctors are getting paid to see more patients and nurses are on salary. They take a higher risk for seeing more patients. So just these four issues we could look at, but there are so many more. We sh- I don't think we should start the debate about money. If we start a debate on healthcare about money, we only end up talking about money and we don't get any further. I'll take a breath there, but there are just so many ways that we could look at things to make the system better. And you point out that we spend $264 billion on health care in Canada at the moment. I I was still stuck on the $100 billion number, so... So, so. <laughs> yeah, and and the number goes up and up, doesn't it? And and I think uh, provincial governments certainly are are realizing. It's, maybe I'll, I'll I'll take a step back. When we started this business, 1948, federal health system funding grants grants, the federal government used its spending power to entice the provinces to build a healthcare system. And so they said, listen, we're going to pay 50 percent of whatever you spend on healthcare if you start building hospitals and start building a system for the citizens. So, of course, the provincial uh, politicians uh, naturally said, listen, I'm getting a hospital for this community and that community. Every little community had a hospital because they only had to pay 50% of the tab. Well, that blank check approach ended in 1977 when the federal government, under the first Trudeau uh, prime minister, Uh, said, wow, this is just going, the costs are going up way too fast. We're going to switch from this blank check 50% approach to a block approach. And it's a little more nuanced than that. But ever since the late 70s, so Medicare came in across Canada by 1972. By 1977, the federal government had said, whoa, you know, we're we're glad to see all this Medicare going on, but we can't afford to pay for it. And so since then, for the last little over 40 years, it's been a struggle of cost control, cutting, rationing. Do we really need to do that? Do we really need to do that? You know, are MRIs really necessary? Even 15, 20 years ago, I heard, uh, you know, ministers of health saying this sort of thing, whereas all around the world, they were standard. And so that's what we're faced with. And I wish the public would just step up and start asking questions. You know, why are these decisions being made? How is this helping patients? Are you doing this because you have to do this, or are you doing this to win the next election? Yeah. Well, your book certainly invites questions, and that's what we have to do. You're absolutely correct. Ask questions because it's our money, and more importantly, it's our health. And I saw what I find really encouraging is how many people in the medical profession support your book and the positions that you take. When politics comes before patients, why and how Canadian Medicare is failing. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.